have your Bibles with you, if it's on your phone or you actually have it with you, uh, we want to turn our attention to God's Word. Um, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, the very last section of it, verses 31 to 39. Um, and our time given to God's Word is not some sort of, hey, we think this is probably a good thing to do. Uh, it is something that God calls us to do. It is His Word, and therefore we give our attention to it. This Word that we have here in our hands was written over a period of 1,600 years by 40 different authors in three different languages and three different continents from all kinds of settings, from palaces to prisons, written by individuals uneducated fishermen to those who were absolutely educated and walked in royal homes like Moses. This is an incredible story that is written. And yet with all those different authors, 1,600 years, with, with, with all that variety, there is one undivided story that points us to the person and work of Jesus Christ, testifying to the fact that this word is not just man's word, it is God's word to us. That's why we give our attention to it. God has promised that as we look into it, his word doesn't return void. Now, in the last so many weeks, we've been looking at the wounds that we all carry, the trauma that we all have faced in one way or another. And I just want to say it bluntly. The enemy loves to use the hard things that we've gone through to keep us from real hope and healing with our God. He will exploit our deepest weaknesses, our most frail vulnerabilities. He will exploit those things to keep us from hope and healing in our God. This is how the enemy works. And so even now, as we kind of bring this emphasis to a close, we want to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. It reads this. What shall we say to these things? These things, Paul has been making an incredible argument of the incredible salvation that we all have in Jesus, that's offered to all. What shall we say to this incredible salvation? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's people, his elect. It is God who justifies, who declares righteous. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trauma Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Any of these things, will they separate us from the love of Christ as it is written? Paul says, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. 
We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This world is a tough world. But verse 37, no, (laughs) in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The question I just want to consider with you is this, when my world has been upended, what can I know to be true? When my world has been shaken, what can I know to be true? What are the truth handles for my life when my life has been lifted up and thrown down and now shattered? What are the truths that I can hold on to when life has been upended? The Apostle Paul, he's Concluding, again, this incredible explanation of salvation that has come to us through Jesus, by faith in Jesus. And as he has kind of walked through that salvation message, he's now coming to these concluding questions. And these questions actually aren't meant to be answered. He's already answered them. They're rhetorical questions that are actually to emphasize the truths. The truths that we must hold on to when difficulty upends our life. When my world is upended, what can I know to be true? First, this. Through the resurrected Christ, verse 31 I have an indestructible life. Should I go in? Should I go out? I don't know. Which way should I move? Through the resurrected Christ, I have an indestructible life. Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Paul, of course, is not saying that this world can't stand against you. You've experienced that. I've experienced that. Paul experienced that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he would say this, that he has suffered countless beatings, often near death. Five times he received 40 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. Paul is not saying that others can't stand against us He's saying that they can't ultimately stand against us. In verse 35, Paul goes on to show that we will face all kinds of trouble and difficulty in this life. Even if we face these things, even if our life is taken through these things, even if to have an extreme illustration. Even if a radical insurgent comes and slits my throat, I die. He stands against me in that sense. The point is, is that he can't ultimately take my life. Why? Because God is 
for us and how has he demonstrated that he is for us in the sending of his own son while I was at my worst when I was yet a sinner Christ died for me more than that he was raised so if my sin has been paid for through his death so much more I will live through his resurrection so yes the world may stand against me and yet in Christ I have an indestructible life. In Christ, I have an indestructible life. Now, maybe you say, well, if God is so for us, then why, why in the world do we suffer as we do? Why does he leave this world as it is in its pains and in its groanings? Well, that question, in large part, is beyond our understanding. So even Paul will state in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. He works on a level that our minds at times can't apprehend, and yet he has given us some clue into the reason why there is still suffering in this world. If he is so for us, then why do we suffer? It's that God has chosen to enter this world in the person of Jesus and through time and process destroy evil without destroying us. Romans 3.23, we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all those who are deserving of this judgment and yet God has determined to enter into the mess. He's entered into the sin-cursed world to die on our behalf and through his resurrection then to eventually overturn the brokenness that we've brought into this world. It's God's way of stepping into this mess and through time and process, bringing an end to evil, destroying evil with actually not destroying you. He's made a way for you to escape ultimate judgment. He's made a way through his own life, death, and resurrection. God has determined to destroy evil without destroying you. Elizabeth Elliot, she is uh, one who has endured great suffering. She's lost two husbands, one on the mission field who is martyred by the Aka Indians, the other who is taken by cancer. She tells the story of being at a sheep farm and watching the, the farmer who the sheep had contracted uh, these parasites, and so the, the farmer was taking the sheep and putting them in this big vat of disinfectant, and he was shoving them down under. She said, just the look on the sheep faces reminded her of her own pain, the panic that hit her life through the suffering that she endured. And yet she began to recognize here is a farmer who is putting these sheep down under for a few seconds only to bring them up so that what is wrong might be destroyed, but that they might be ultimately saved. It is through the difficulty, through the suffering, that actually they were being redeemed. And so for Elizabeth Elliot, it was also for her to say, 
I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that the shepherd of my soul will walk with me. He will carry me through the valley of the shadow of death. He will bring me ultimately through. Through the pain, through the trial, through the trauma, he will bring me through. Why? Because I know my God is for me and he's proven it through the cross. And if my God is for me, who can ultimately stand against me? The fact is that in Christ we have an indestructible life. But secondly, through the resurrected Christ, I have undeniable provision. I have undeniable we, we live in a time where it's, how, how, get that stimulus out. We're in need at times. We're finding ourselves in need through a difficult season that we've been through. We know something of the fact that we need provision, that we are limited in ourselves. A, a virus can come and sweep through and we can find ourselves in such frailty, in such need. Well, when it comes to God's purposes, through the resurrected Christ, I have undeniable provision. Verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with us graciously give us all things? He did not spare his own son. That's a word of pain and utter agony. He did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us. He gave Jesus for us. Jesus actually submitted to the experiences of this trauma-ridden world. He came and entered it, and he submitted himself to the onslaught of evil, and he did it ultimately to overcome evil. Even if you sit back and you say, this is all pretty, uh, you know, skeptical idea for me that Jesus came and did all of these things for me. If there is a God who is worthy of your worship, if there is a God who is worthy of your attention and your adoration, who is worthy of your life, it would be this God who has come and who has felt himself something of the trauma of this life, who knows in some sense what you've gone through. He knows what it is to be shattered. He knows what it feels like to suffer. And he comes and has done all of that, as the text says, for us all. He was not spared and he came for us all. And notice the logic of this verse. Verse 32, the logic goes from greater to lesser. If God didn't spare his own son for us, then without question, he will certainly give us all things. It, it, the idea is if God can lift a bajillion pounds, then he can lift a few ounces. If he's demonstrated his love in such an incredible sacrificial way, he will demonstrate his love in every lesser way. It's the logic of greater to lesser. If he's given us Jesus, he will give us all things. Now we have to be careful of defining all things. All things does not mean that you're going to get your dream car and your dream home and your dream place to live, right? All things is not just giving you all that you might want for your sake and your comforts. All things refers to this wonderful reality 
that God will grace us. He will provide his power and enablement to us. He will provide the very things that we need so that we might persevere until we are brought safely home. God never promises you some easy, laid-back, prosperous life. From Romans chapter 8, it's saying there will be trauma, there will be difficulty, there will be famine, there will be persecution, there will be sword, and the enemy will get into the mix of all that and to make a mess of it all. But he does promise this. He promises that he will grace you. He will meet you at every moment of every crisis, through every difficulty and trauma. He promises his undeniable provision to you. It can't be denied. If he's given his son, he certainly will give you everything to persevere until you're brought safely home one day. He will never neglect you. He will never turn his back on you. He will never get tired of you. We get tired of one another, right? I just need a little time away. He never gets tired of you. He wants to be with you. He wants to impart his grace to you until you are brought safely home. Finally, through the resurrected Christ, I have an unalterable acceptance. Verse 33, 34, it states, Who shall bring any charge against God's people? Who, who is to condemn? And again, we shouldn't fail to notice. Just as we saw Friday night, Jesus was condemned. <laughs> Paul will eventually be condemned. His life will be taken. So the question is saying, is it really we'll never be condemned in Christ? No, condemnation will come after you. Charges will come after you. But the point, once again, is that they won't stick. They can't stick. Anyone who tries to get in the way of all that Jesus has done for you will fail. Anyone who tries to confuse your acceptance with God will ultimately fail. They may stir some doubt in your mind. They may kind of slow you down in your spiritual walk, but they can't ultimately undo what Christ himself has done for you through his death and resurrection. Your salvation, your acceptance with God never was dependent upon you in the first place. It came freely to you by all that Jesus did for you. As we oftentimes say, you didn't bring anything to the table of salvation but your sin. Jesus brought everything else. He brought the grace. He brought the love. He brought the change. He brought the transformation. So who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Absolutely no one can. And what's the logic here? Well, it's God who justifies. It's God who declares us righteous. Every lesser power, every lesser voice cannot stand, cannot rival God's ultimate declaration. And furthermore... Our acceptance is, once again, based upon Christ Jesus, verse 34, who is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He died. He paid the debt of our sins. He was raised, which means he was completely vindicated. It was, it was a 
declaration that what Jesus has done was perfectly satisfactory for you. His life that he now lives is a testament that you will forever be accepted through faith in him. If you know Jesus now, you're no more accepted now than you will be in a million years into eternity. It won't change. Why? Because he lived, he died, he was raised in vindication. He's seated at the right hand of God, which means he has all power and authority. No other powers, no other authorities can ultimately condemn you, can separate you from God. He is the one who is interceding for us so that even when Satan comes to tempt us like he did to Peter, Jesus prays for Peter. Satan came to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when your heart is restored, go restore your brothers. Jesus prays. He intercedes on behalf of his own. Right now, in this moment, Jesus is interceding for us. You came here just to do Easter stuff. Yeah, it's great, right? It's exciting. We should be here celebrating Jesus. And yet right now, he's ministering on your behalf. He's working on your behalf. He knows your heart. He knows the trauma of your heart. And he's interceding that your trauma would not get in the way in the hope and healing that he provides. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is what he is doing for us. Oh, who is to condemn? Who is to bring any kind of charge against us? Oh, they got to deal with my Jesus to get through. So then Paul summarizes all of this. He summarizes this in verse 35 with that familiar question, who shall separate us from the love of God? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Of God, And the point is not necessarily to emphasize how amazing God's love is. The point is to see just how limited every other power is to hinder his love for us. The point is to recognize that through Jesus, yes, his love will not be undone because there is no rival power to confuse it. But then he goes on to say... Suffering's going to be real. Trauma's going to be real. There's going to be persecution. You're going to feel like your sheep being led to a slaughter. This life will be hard. And if you try to do it on your own, I can just, we'll just say it bluntly. You will not be able to stand. If you try to work through your traumas on your own, you will not be able to stand. If you try to bring hope and healing to your life apart from Jesus, you will not be able to stand. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall all this trauma separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. You won't feel like it. Why? Because you'll be suffering. <laughs> there will be trauma. There will be hardship. You're going to feel like you're condemned. You're going, to be, you're going to feel like you're shattered. You're going to feel as though charges have been brought against you. You're going to feel guilty and beaten down. You're going to feel all of that. And yet, through Jesus, here's your reality. Here's the banner that stands over your shattered life. You are more than 
conquerors. Now, a conqueror is one who defeats his enemy. The, the enemy stands under his feet. But for one who is more than a conqueror, it's that all the evil schemes that the enemy worked at you are now turned for your good. His evil schemes actually serve you. They actually work for your greater good. Through the love of Christ, we are not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Every suffering and every trauma, every evil that has come against you, God doesn't waste that stuff. He just doesn't throw out glory before us as kind of some point of relief. Glory will unveil all his perfect purposes through all the hardships that you've gone through to the point that he's going to take every scheme of the evil one and work it for your good. Just as he did with the cross. Where evil men and the enemy himself thought victory was won through the death of Jesus Christ. It was actually through death that victory for him was won. For us was one. He took the sufferings and the trauma and worked it for our good. So these are the truths that we can hold on to. When trauma hits our life, we will feel it in its fullness. But we can know that through the resurrected Christ, we have indestructible life, undeniable provision, unalterable acceptance. No one can separate us from the love of Christ. Amen. Paul began this whole section by saying, what shall we say to these things? And my question to you is, can you say these things? Can you say it? Can you say that through the resurrected Christ, I have indestructible life, undeniable provision, unalterable acceptance. In Christ, I have a love that will never die. If you can't say those things, if you don't know those things, the offer is placed before you. There are no religious hoops to jump through. Isn't that so good? As much of religiosity would want to say, oh, you got to do this and you got to do that. And you got to make sure this happens and that happens. Nope, 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 nope. You can go right to Jesus. You can go right to him. And maybe you say, but I, you don't know how broken I am. He does. He does. He knows the depths of your hearts in ways in which you can't understand it yourself. He knows you and he still opens his scarred hands to you and says, come and know my salvation. Come and know my acceptance. Come and know my provision. Come and know my love. Today, you can know Jesus. Today, you can receive him for all that he is. And yes, in this life, you will continue to feel the traumas of it. But you can know that through his love, you will be more than a conqueror. All the evil that is worked at you now will be turned for your good in him. This is who Jesus is for us, the resurrected Christ. Let's pray together.
Father, we want to thank you first and foremost for your incredible plan. Lord, we thank you that you worked salvation for the undeserving. Lord, thank you that you made a way for us through your Son to know an undying love, a love that would meet us in our brokenness, a love that would meet us in our sin, a, a love that would meet us where we would just would want to reject you and, and push you away, would we, when we would want to worship and serve the creation rather than the Creator. God, thank you that you came after us. Thank you that you poured out your mercy upon us. That you would have us, broken as we are, sinful as we are, to bring hope and healing to our lives. Lord, I pray right now for those who still have their defenses up, say that I, I cannot trust the love of Christ when it comes to the frailties of my heart. Lord, we come against the enemy who would want to place those lies in our minds. Lord, we pray against him. We, we pray even right now, Lord, that you would tear down, tear down the lies of the enemy. Spirit of God, we pray right now that you would expose the enemy's work the schemes that he works, the lies that he speaks. God, and show us, show us something of your kindness and your love. God, do the miracle work of tearing down those walls so that your people might find hope and healing with you. Lord, we know that in some sense, the traumas that we face are a process to work through. There is daily care and need that, that we all bear, that we need to work through. And yet, Lord, we know that you show up in incredible moments along that journey to bring your grace to bear upon us. So, Lord, let this Easter Sunday be something of that for the wounded soul. Would it be the chains breaking off and something of the light of your presence beaming into the dark places of our hearts and lives? Jesus, I pray that you would bring healing to the broken hearts even now. Do a supernatural work within us, showing us something of, of, of confidence that we can have in you. Lord, I, I pray that we would even begin to unhand the things that we've kind of had a clenched fist upon. And Jesus, we invite you into those places to do the work that you can only do in bringing hope and healing to our lives. Lord, and we pray also, we pray for your regenerating power for those who may not know you. Lord, I pray that even in this moment, they would find themselves bending to knee, the knee to the resurrected Christ. They would be bowing in faith to the one who lived for them, died for them, and was raised for them. So even now, I'm just going to ask, is, is there any who have deep sufferings where you just feel like, man, I need God to invade that space for me? Maybe it's particularly with this season. Maybe there's unique circumstances that are at work in your life, and you're just saying, man, I, 
I, I have such vulnerable things that I'm carrying right now that I, I want God's attention. I want his wisdom brought to bear. Would anybody just identify with that? We're going to spend just a few moments of prayer together as we close out. Anyone say, I got, I got heavy things that I'm working through right now. So what I'd like you to do is just kind of uh, gather around a few that are identifying themselves. Pray over them. If you need to ask, if it's okay to get close to them, you can ask. I want you to, I encourage you to even just begin praying. Begin praying into that. God would invade those, diff those difficulties and those wounds. And I'm also going to ask, is there anyone here who says, I've never come to faith in Jesus, but like, I got to do it. I got to step forward. I got I, I to gotta walk forward in faith. I want to know more about this Jesus. I want to trust in this Jesus, perhaps for the first time. Anybody here who said, I, I've never taken that step of faith and today I want to do it. You just raise your hand. I want to embarrass you. Just want to pray for you. Anyone? But a few gather around Victoria. Just pray for her. Anyone else here who would just say, I need prayer? Okay, can a few gather around back here? Ask them specifically just what the needs are. Finally, I just want to also, as we begin to close, uh, anybody just have particular ailments in their body that they want prayer for? Say, it's just a burden that I'm carrying and I want to see God bring healing to my body. Anybody in particular who would want prayer or any bodily needs?
going to do one final kind of weird thing uh just kind of last minute what i'd like us to do is make a big circle right in the middle of the parking lot and kids all the kids jump in the middle all right so we we want to keep enough space for those who may feel a little uncomfortable but we're going to put the kids in the middle i'm going to have tom horton pray over them and then have james proclaim the benediction over them. So it's just one way that we just want to bless our children. We want to intercede for them as they grow up in what is a broken world, that they would ultimately hope in their resurrected King, Jesus Christ. So yeah, kind of get in some sort of circle. The kids can jump in the middle and we'll pray over them. general circle, right? <laughs> that works. Yeah, feel free as we then pray just to hold out your hands as a sign of blessing upon them. Our God, as we as we look at these young ones in the middle of us right now, it's a reminder to us that you're not done. You're not finished with the work that you're doing. God, we thank you for the great privilege that it is that you've given us to shepherd these precious young people that we have here, our kids, our grandkids, our neighborhood kids. And Lord, I am reminded from how we prayed for our leaders earlier today, that the, the decisions and the directions that our leaders are making give these young ones a very challenging, very challenging life. Lord, they are growing up into a difficult world. And we pray, God, that you would not have this world and its messages and its direction to be the ultimate force in their lives. And we know that you are greater. And we know that you have not, in a sense, left them out in the wilderness to the wolves for, a, for an evil and wicked world to destroy. Instead, God, we know that you have created them for a purpose. 
and that is for your glory and that you will protect them as you fulfill their purpose, as you fulfill your purpose in their lives. God, I pray specifically that you would drive home to these young ones through the course of their life that wickedness is not normal. That the things that are portrayed to them, that they are bombarded with in every area of life, that those things are a lie. And we know that lies are combated with your truth. So God, we pray that you would flood them with your truth through this church, through their families, through their walk with you, through the friends that they meet, the connections that they make. You are sovereignly in control of all of these. Lord, I pray for those young ones that may be among us who feel as though that they're abandoned. They may feel as though that life has forgotten them. And in many ways in this world, that may be the case, but God, I pray that you would bring home to them that they have a father, a great father who loves them with an everlasting love. And what this world may lack for them, you give, you make up for in abundance. Save these young ones, God. Open up their heart to your truth. Make it sensitive to your truth. And let them walk in your truth. And protect them on that journey. And fill us with your spirit, Lord, as you've put us in, in strategic places in their lives to affect them with your love. Thank you, God. They are not left on their own. We come to you with this prayer, not out of desperation, but out of great hope because we know that you're just not letting them walk to, out on their own. So we join you, God, and we, we ask you. We, we, really, this is a prayer of affirmation. We know that you're going to do this. We thank you for this great hope in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. You are dismissed. Amen. Have a great resurrection day.